You're listening to a resource from the Field Church in Mandeville, Louisiana. It is our joy to glorify God by treasuring Jesus in the preaching of His Word. We pray this resource will be a tool used to aid in your relationship with Christ in addition to your local church. Blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood. Good morning, church. Uh, as Sam said, my, my name is Josh Seal. Um, I'm a pastor in training here, and I do oversee our student ministry, which many of which are in here. Um, actually, as I'm looking out, I, I see some new students, and uh, I think it's really fitting to, to, for me to be up here today. So uh, if, I would love to meet with you afterwards. I haven't had a chance to talk to you or your parents, but I would love to meet with you afterwards and get to know you, uh, and so you can get to know me as well. But it's really awesome to see new students, new families, and new faces in here. Um, and speaking of faces as well, as, as Sam did, did uh, introduce me, and many of you were probably didn't recognize me at first, because usually I have facial hair, and, uh, and so I had to, had to shave. But um, Misty always tells me, she said, you look like a different person when you're shaved. But, uh, but yeah, so I am still, my name is still Josh, and, and this is, um, <laughs> anyways. Um, but yeah, so I know you saw the students up here. We're getting ready to go to student life. Um, it's going to be an awesome week where we get to, to spend time in God's Word daily together and grow. Um, and I'm really excited to see what God does there at camp. Um, we're going with nine students this year. Last year we went with three, and so next year I'm hoping we go with 20 or more. Um, it's a great camp. It's a camp where I was actually saved through when I was 15 years old. Um, and one of our students who wasn't able to make it today, Tanner, uh, he was actually saved last year through the camp as well. It's just a wonderful camp, and, um, and I'm excited to see see what God does there. Um, so also, I'm going to recap a little bit about what Sam covered the past two weeks. Um, we saw Jesus be affirmed by God uh, in his baptism in, in Luke three twenty one through 22. And then we also see that he had victory over Satan's temptation in the wilderness for 40 days. Um, and it's just another affirmation that this is the Son of God. He is the Savior. He is the Messiah. And today, that's what we're going to see through the text. We're going to see that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Son of God, and he is, is declaring that he's bringing salvation to the world through him. Um, Sam also told me last week uh, that he had to add a couple of verses to my sermon. And at first, I was like, okay, and no problem. And then I started to do some research and study through those two verses, and I was like, oh my goodness, there's a lot. <laughs> there's a lot of background to it. There's a lot of stuff that I need to, to put in to bring us to perspective of where we are in the text. And so that's what I'm going to do. But before I do, I'd like to pray um, that God uh, speaks and that it's not just my own words. Um, and, uh, and I pray that we will stay focused on the text as well. Uh, so let's pray. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for bringing in as many people as you did today. It's wonderful to see a room full of people ready to, to open your word and to, to dig in and, and see what you have for us, Lord. I pray that you will you will speak through me, and you will be, it'll be your words, not my own. Lord, I pray that we will see how desperate we need to be for you, how you are our Redeemer, and without you, we are nothing. So, Lord, I pray that we will see that through, through your own words as I read them. Uh, Lord, I pray that you will, you will move in the hearts of people here, and, and Lord, I just pray that, that we will leave with a, a completely different understanding, something that we've never seen. 
In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're in Luke 4. If you would turn with me to Luke 4, 14 through 30. If you don't have a Bible with you, I believe Taylor already uh, mentioned it, but we do have Bibles out back right outside of those doors. Um, you're more than welcome to go get some. We actually have a couple right here. Um, and if you don't have your own Bible, you're more than welcome to take them home and, and write your name in it and make it your own. Um, so, so please open to Luke 4, starting in verse 14, and we're going to go through uh, 30. But before we do, I want to give a little background, bring us to where we are, show you that it wasn't immediate, straight after Jesus' uh, victory over Satan in the wilderness, uh, he, he went and he did some other things. He had, he had ministries that he did just by going about proclaiming uh, that he's the Messiah. And, and I want you all to see that to see why people were speaking well of him, why they knew about him already. Um, so right after the temptation in the wilderness, Jesus, he moved on and he actually got his, he, he called his first disciples He was in the same area where John was still proclaiming his name, still pointing to Jesus as the Messiah. And and John was pointing to him, and and some of John's disciples actually saw that, and they were curious, and they began to follow Jesus. They started to to ask him questions, get to know him. They spent the night with him, and they realized that this this guy is different. There's something way different. He, he is the Son of God. We can see that through His words and how he, how he operates. He's completely different. And so in John chapter 1, is, we see this in the Gospel of John mainly. But in John chapter 1, we see that Jesus calls and He, and he calls Andrew, Simon Peter, Philip, and Nathaniel as His first disciples. They said, they said to Nathaniel, oh, we have found the Messiah. And as Nathaniel's coming that way, he wasn't fully believing that they really found the Messiah. But uh, Jesus, before he even got there, said, oh, look, a true Israelite. And, uh, and then he said, well, how do you know me? I've never met you before. Basically, is how he says it. I, how do you know me? And Jesus said, before Philip called you, I saw you under the fig tree. Now, that is just another amazing thing that we see as Jesus is... He's omniscient. He, he knows all things. Even though he is still in, in a human form, he is Christ. And uh, it's just really cool to see that. I just wanted to point that out as he calls his four, first disciples. And then he moves on, as many know, the wedding in Cana, where uh, Mary comes to Jesus and her son and says that they've ran out of wine. Um, we need some wine. And Jesus says, well, well, what does this have to do with me? My, my hour has not yet come. My time has not yet come. But he does anyways, and he, he has servants go and, and fill up some jars of water. And the servants saw everything. They knew that there was water that was in there. And as they brought the jars over to the group that was at the wedding, and they dipped the spoon in to pour it out, it was wine. It was no longer water. That was the first of his signs that people saw. And, uh, and that, was, that was the next thing. And that was in John chapter 2. And then also in John chapter 2, we see that for the Passover, everyone goes to the temple in Jerusalem. And when Jesus was there, he noticed that they were making the temple a marketplace. They were selling uh, cattle and goats uh, for sacrifices. They were, they were making it a marketplace so that they could gain profit. And Jesus drove them out of the temple, as many of us already know. And, um, and he said, he, he, don't make my father's house a place of trade, a place to to make money, to uh, prosper in in wealth. He didn't want that, and he drove them out. That was in John 2. And then in John 3, we see that Nicodemus 
which is a, he was a Pharisee man who was a very well-known uh, rabbi, a teacher, and he actually he told Nicodemus the gospel. He told him to be born, how to be born again, and Nicodemus didn't understand it uh, at first, and he explained that to a very well-known, renowned rabbi, teacher. That was in John 3. Also, we see that he goes to the Judean countryside where John is still proclaiming Christ. He's still pro- pro- proclaiming that Jesus is the Son of God. And, uh, and that's just another, that's also in John 3. He's still in that same area. But during that time, the Pharisees saw or heard that Je- Jesus' disciples were baptizing more than John the Baptist's disciples were, and they were curious. They wanted to know who this man was, so Jesus moves and he goes on to uh, travel towards Galilee. And on his way, he stops because he becomes thirsty. And he stops at the well where a Samaritan woman comes. This is a very well-known part of the Bible. Well, a Samaritan woman comes and he asks for a drink of water and she's surprised that he's even speaking to her because she's a Samaritan woman. Jews did not talk to Samaritans because they were a crossbreed between Gentiles and Jews. That's what the Samaritans were. And so she was already surprised that, why are you talking to me? A Jewish man talking to me, a Samaritan woman. And he goes on to tell her that he knows all about her. He knows that she has been married five times, that she uh, was not with her a current husband. She is with a man that she is not married to. And he told her all of these things, and she was amazed by the words he spoke. And then she goes to her town and tells everybody of what he said, he, she, she tells him all. He knew everything. He knew everything about my life. It's amazing. This has got to be the Messiah. And so they, in their curiosity, came and started talking to Jesus. And he stayed with them a few nights and uh, witnessed to them. And in his speaking, in his words, they believed. And he brought salvation to the Samaritan people, uh, which is also unheard of because they weren't Jews. Um, but then that brings us to the last one where he heals an official's son. The official's son was in, uh, in this area, which we will come to, where they say, and uh, later on, Capernaum, they say that's where the official's son was. His son was very ill. His son was about to die. And he comes to beg Jesus as he is in Cana, once again, to come and heal his son. And in this guy's belief, believing that Jesus could heal, Jesus just spoke it and said, your son will be fine. Go home. And he does. And when he gets there, his son is healed and better. And that brings us to where we are today in John, I mean, sorry, in Luke 4, verses 14 to 15. Um, So I'm going to go ahead and read, and then I'm going to try and break it up into some sections. But verses 14 and 15, as, we, as I've covered all of that, that stuff in uh, the things in, in J- uh, the Gospel of John, that's what brings us to verses 14 and 15. So I'm going to go ahead and read all the way through to verse 30, and then I'll, I'll cover them. Luke 4, 14. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He enrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, 
because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to, pro to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, It is not, is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to, the, to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of the town, and brought him to the, hill, to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. It's a lot, there's a lot of text here. There's a lot of things to cover. Um, and so I want to start with verses 14 and 15. Now, as I've covered all that, that background that brought us up to where we are, many in Galilee knew of who Jesus was. They knew by word of mouth. They knew because some of them were actually there with him. It was close to his hometown. Nazareth is, is, is in that area. And Cana is only a walk, walking distance away from Nazareth. So many that were at the wedding of Cana, that's, that's heard that Jesus turned water to wine, they were also there at the wedding. They were also in the town of Nazareth. They lived with him. They grew up with him. They knew him as a boy growing up into a man. That's what they saw him as. They saw him as a man and nothing other. So that's why it says that they were speaking, they glorified him by all. Not that they glorified him. They didn't see him as the Messiah. They saw him as, well, this man can do great things. He turned water to wine. He healed a person who was about to die. He He's doing these great things. Many people are coming to him. We know about him. We know his name. And so that's where when he comes into Nazareth, they give him the platform. They give him really the chance to go up in front of all in the synagogue and, and teach. And that's what Jesus was. He was a teacher. He preached. Um, he taught as he went. That was, that was what he did. And so that's what verse 14 and 15 say. But then my first point that I want to cover is in verses 16 through 21, we see that Jesus is revealing himself. He's revealing who he is. So I'm going to read again verses 16 through 21 as we go and, and dig in there to see what Jesus has. Starting in verse 16, and, and he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. 
He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recover of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And as the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him, and he began to say, Today this scripture has been fulfilled. That's something they've never heard before. They've probably read through this before. They've probably been taught through Isaiah 61, 1 through 2. That's where this scripture comes from. It's from the prophet Isaiah. They've probably never heard anyone get up there. They never have heard. I know that for sure because there wasn't no Messiah yet. They knew that. They were waiting. But they haven't heard anyone say, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Something different that they've never heard before. What does he mean has been fulfilled? We know that this scripture is talking about the Messiah. Is he saying he's the Messiah? Well, yes, actually, that's exactly what Jesus was saying. He was saying that he is the Messiah, revealing that he is the Messiah. But they still saw him as a man. They saw him as a boy. They knew him as he grew up. And they just thought that he was a great teacher, a great rabbi. Um, But that's not at all what he was. And then as we go in to see what Jesus is talking about through the prophet Isaiah's uh, prophecy, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. We saw that back in, in, John, in Luke 3. I keep trying to say John. I don't know why. Uh, in Luke 3, that Jesus was, was baptized and, and the Father, God the Father, proclaimed, this is my Son with whom I am well pleased. He was anointed right there pushing forth into his ministry after his temptation. This is Jesus coming to proclaim salvation through himself. That's what he's here to do. And, uh, and so let's go to the, what does he mean by, he, what does he mean by the poor, the, the captive, the blind, the oppressed? What does he mean by that? Is he, does he mean literally the poor in wealth? No. Does he mean the actual prisoners or the actual captives that are, that are in prison for something they did? No. Does he mean the ones that actually cannot see, although Jesus did heal the blind, as we know, but that's not what he was talking about either. Was he talking about the ones that feel that they are spiritually oppressed? Um, sorry, that thing <laughs> came loose. Does he actually mean that? No, he doesn't mean that either. He's talking something much greater. So when he says the poor, he's talking about the poor in spirit. So Matthew 5, 3 is something that I want us to look at. Says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is what Jesus is talking about the poor in spirit, the people who recognize that they need a Savior. That's exactly who Jesus is talking about. Not the ones who feel like, I already know what I have, I already know that I'm good enough. I'm righteous, I'm going to be saved. That's not the ones he came to save. He came to save the ones that realize and know that they are lost and they need a Savior. That's what Jesus is talking about when he says the poor, the poor in spirit. The next one is the captives or the prisoners, the ones, they are prisoners to their sin. Ephesians 2, 1 through 5 says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, 
even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. It's another point that it's not for the righteous, not for the ones that believe that they don't need anything. It's by grace you have been saved. It's for the ones that know and realize that they are lost and need, a sa- need of a Savior. And the last one is the spiritually oppressed. That's what he means by the oppressed. The spiritually, oh sorry, I skipped one. The blind, the blind to their sin. Now we covered in Luke chapter 1, verses 77 through, through 79, um, this, kind of, this really covers what, it, what it's talking about when Jesus says he came for the blind. To give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the uh, way of peace. And the last... I think I have another verse on there. It's John eight twelve actually. John eight twelve again. Jesus spoke to them, saying, "I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life." When you walk in darkness or it's real dark, you can almost become, as you're walking without direction, you're walking like you're blind. Jesus is the one who brings the light to the world. He's the one that brings salvation. Spiritually oppressed is the last one. In Isaiah fifty eight six says, Is not this the fast that I chose? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke. He came to free the oppressed. He came to bring salvation to them. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30 says, Come to me, all, ye, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So you can't say that you are righteous and not in need of a Savior, that you do enough great things. That's what these, the, the Jewish people during this time, the ones that Jesus is speaking to, they were the ones that thought they were righteous. They were the ones that thought they did enough did enough. They thought they, they were good enough, that they did enough works, and that they thought that made them righteous. Well, Jesus is saying quite the opposite. He's saying that you need to realize that you're not good enough, uh, that you need a Savior. And um, so that's what Jesus is talking about in, in verses 18 through 19. But then it says that Jesus rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant. They had somebody that would bring the scroll uh, for them to read, whoever the rabbi was for that day. They, they would have many, but Jesus was the rabbi for that day. And, and he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say, today the scripture has been fulfilled. Now with synagogues, how they started their day of worship was very much how we started today. We started singing praise to God, inviting him to come in and, and grace us with his presence so that we can go into his word and, and be renewed and be strengthened as we go about our days. They did the same thing. They started and they would sing psalms uh, of praise and then they would have a teacher who would come up and he would open the scroll like Jesus did here and he would read it to them and then he would sit down in a position of authority or a position of teaching. He would sit down and, uh, and then he would exposit it. He would explain it. He would teach it. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He read the scroll, and little did they know that what he was reading was about himself. 
He was prophesying to them about himself. And, uh, and so Jesus did that. He sat down and assumed uh, the seat where he would then teach. And people, all the eyes of the synagogue, which is probably many during that time, they had, it would be packed. Um, kind of like we are today. It's a lot of people here today. And, and I'm, uh, but that's what it was. Jesus sat down and he, and he explained it. He, he explained that it's been fulfilled. Today, in your hearing, it's been fulfilled. And, uh, and they spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. But then they said, Isn't this, is this not Joseph's son? We know him. We knew him since he was a boy. We know his father and mother. We know that, I mean, he grew up. You know, he's just like us, right? Um, but they were missing a point. So um, the next part is that when I, when I told you today that, that, that Jesus was prophesying, he was talking about himself. He's saying, I am the Messiah, and I am here. I am the one that's going to bring salvation to the world. And, uh, and so we move on to our next point, where they reject him. Um, first, he revealed himself to them. He said, I am the Messiah. They spoke well of him, gracious words of him. And, um, but then they were still wondering, like, he's, just a, he's just a man. He's just a boy. We knew him. Some of them were probably much older than him, probably saw him grow up since he was a boy. And so they didn't look at him. He was in his own hometown. They didn't look at him as, as anything more than a man. So in verses 22 through 29, I'll read that as we go. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, Heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. Now I'll pause there for a second because remember what he did in Capernaum. He healed the one who was about to die. And they're going to quote that proverb to him when Jesus is about to die. Um, But he told them that this is what they're going to quote. And then we move on to verse 24. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them were cleansed, or was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath, and they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. When I, I've read this many times growing up, and my first question was, man, they were, they were really saying great things about Jesus. What, what happened? They, just, they want to kill him now. It just switched real quick. I didn't understand it, and so I did some more research and some reading, um, but it actually comes, the prophet Elijah, if you remember, not too long ago, uh, Sam preached through the book of James, and towards the end, in, in, verse, or in chapter 5, 17, uh, we see that he brings that up. He talks about the prophet Elijah praying that there would be a famine for three years and six months. Well, the reason why he did that was because during that time, many were worshiping the false god Baal. And they rejected Elijah as a prophet. They didn't accept him. They weren't worshiping the true God. They weren't worshiping Yahweh. They were worshiping Baal. 
And so because of their disbelief, he went to none of the other widows. And remember, there's a famine. So during the famine, if there's no famine, they have people who have wealth, who have plenty, that would give to the widows, that would help them out as they, they went along. But there was a famine, so nobody really had enough. That, and because of that, the widows were not going to be provided for. And so Elijah went to this widow. She was the Gentile, by the way. Um, she, they went to this, he went to this widow, and he asked her to, to bake him a biscuit, basically, with what she had. And she told him, well, all I have is a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil. Um, the plan was to make a last meal for me and my son, and then we're going to die. Because that's all they had left, and they didn't think that they were going to have another meal, that they were going to starve and eventually die, is what they, they thought. And so Elijah said, well, go ahead and make me uh, a meal. Your, your flour and your oil will not empty. It will be replenished. And because of her belief, and she did, she did what the prophet Elijah asked, it was replenished. Just like when, when Jesus fed the 5,000 with just the little he had, it kept multiplying and it didn't empty. It was, there was more. And so he did that. But the re- he only went to that widow. He, he didn't go to any others. And then also with Elisha, still during the time of, of the worship with Baal, um, they also rejected Elisha as a prophet of God. They weren't worshiping the true God. Uh, he went to only one leper. There were many lepers in that area during that time, and he only went to one, which was also a Gentile, not a non-Jew. And his name was Naaman. He was a mighty commander, a man of valor. He, he did great for the Syrian army, great things for them. And this man was a leper, but he went to him because he had uh, written a letter with a request that he believed this prophet is a prophet of God and that he believed that if he would come, that he would, he would heal his leprosy. So the prophet Elijah tells him, he says, to go and dunk himself in the river of Jordan seven times. Now, Naaman's first response was like, there's much cleaner water than the Jordan. Can I not go into these? Well, Elisha still stuck with it and said, go in the Jordan, dunk yourself seven times. And so he did, and after the seventh time, he was healed. Um, And that angered these people that Jesus was talking to, not because, not only because he went to only the Gentiles and he passed over all of the Jews, the Jewish widows, the Jewish lepers. He went to the Gentiles, but also because he was basically telling them that you're going to reject me like your fathers rejected those prophets. And they said, no, 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 of course not. We're, we, we believe those prophets were, were real. We're not going to do that. But then they were angered because of the words that Jesus said, that they were going to reject him. And actually, ironically, immediately they did. They wanted to kill him. And that's where we move on to the retreat. So we have the revealing where Jesus revealed that he is the Messiah. And then we have the rejection where they reject him to a point to where they want to kill him. They want to throw him off of the cliff. And so the retreat uh, goes in verse 30, as we've already read. But passing through their midst, he went away. Now, I don't know. I can't explain exactly how that happened. Uh, like I said earlier, the synagogue, they have a lot of people there. They probably had a mob of people there um, that were going to grab up Jesus and bring him to the brow and throw him off. But he passed through their midst, and they didn't realize that he was gone until he was already gone. But the reason behind that is because it wasn't his hour yet. It wasn't his time to die. 
He had much more work to do, much more ministry to do, and he was going to be crucified, as Scripture also prophesies that he would be pierced for our transgressions. So in John, oh, not in John, yeah, in John 2, 4, it says, And Jesus said to her, A woman, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. That was from the wedding at Cana, which I already covered, um, when Mary told him that the wine, they had no more wine. They needed, they needed wine. But what Jesus was saying here is that my hour has not yet come. And then we see in John 17, 1, his hour has come. And this is right before Jesus is taken to be crucified, to be beaten and put on trial and then crucified. So when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Um, We sang a couple of songs today, uh, well, several songs, but uh, Redeemed and uh, the last one we sang is pointing to Christ as our Redeemer. That's a beautiful song that our, our worship team has, has written, and, and I love singing that song because He is our Redeemer, and without Him, uh, we would not be saved. We would not have salvation. And um, it's just really beautiful to see that, that Jesus prophesied this and told them that He came for the ones that know that they're broken, that know that they need a Savior. And, uh, and so I just have a couple of more verses where I want you all to, to, uh, to read John 3.36 on the board. Um, this is also during, during the same stuff that I went through um, earlier. But whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. That's a real thing, guys. That's a real thing that, that we have to believe in the Son of God. We have to believe that he is the Son of God. We have to believe that he is the Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah that that brings salvation. And then also Romans 10, 9 and 10. It says, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So we see that it is a real thing. It is a, a heart thing. You have to believe, truly believe in the heart. Our first pillar says joyfully treasuring Jesus. That's truly what it is. To believe in Jesus Christ, he has to be above all other things. He has to be the most important thing. You have to realize that you're not a righteous person. I know I'm not a righteous person. We have to believe that, that we're not righteous, and without him, uh, we, we're not saved. And to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord. Um, so that, that is what Jesus is saying there. He's saying that no one is righteous. I am the Messiah. I'm bringing salvation to the world. Um, so believe in Him. Believe in the Son of God. All right, let's pray. Father, uh, thank You for today that we have a place where we can come and, and gather together to open Your Word and to see what You have for us to see your, your glory through the Bible as you've given us. Um, Lord, I, I pray that we will never take your word for granted. I pray that we will read through this text over and over and over throughout the week and realize that it is an amazing thing to know that you have come, you've humbled yourself to take on flesh for the only reason to be crucified and raised for our sins. You are a humble 
and mighty God. And I just pray that today we will all see that and be uh, strengthened through that today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this resource from the Field Church in Mandeville, Louisiana. We pray that it helps you joyfully make Jesus Christ your treasure. 